welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Thanks for joining Mike and I for another episode of What the HR. Today, we're joined by Ken Ferguson, the Chief Revenue Officer at OrgView. Ken has spent the last 20 years in the enterprise SaaS software market, building high-performing teams and helping the largest and most complex businesses in the world be the best that they can be by embracing and implementing new and innovative technologies. His mission is to empower business leaders in human capital, finance, and analytics functions to make bold moves that will drive new ways of working and high levels of performance. Along the way, Ken has been a part of helping some of his industry-leading clients like Goodyear Tire and Rubber, Nationwide Insurance, KeyBank, Johnson & Johnson, and Macy's achieve high, measurable results. At OrgView, Ken is responsible for global field sales, marketing, partnerships, customer success, and revenue operations teams. And under his leadership, he guides his teams to connect strategy to execution to help customers solve complex and varied business challenges. So on uh, our interview with Ken today, Mike and I really focused on how HR can lead the post-pandemic reset. And I will quote here that Ken stated, the pandemic shut the door on the post-industrial age and is likely to be the true start of the digital age. So we talked with Ken a lot about this new remote environment that many of us are working in, how organizations can use data that they have today to help prepare for what the future of remote working might look like and or hybrid models where you have employees that might be working part-time from home or part-time in the office and really um, the best tools to leverage not only from an HR perspective but even uh, your finance, your business partners, uh, your people analytics team. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. As always, please leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you are enjoying this episode on. You can also send us an email at tcsherm.org and share your feedback and let us know if there are specific topics or people that you would like Mike and I to interview. So thanks for tuning in today and we hope you love the episode. Well, thanks for being with us today, Ken. We're really excited to have you on the What the HR podcast. Mike and I gave our listeners an overview of your bio and background prior to us jumping on today, but I would still love for you to take a few minutes, tell our listeners a little bit about you, maybe above and beyond your bio, and what brought you to OrgView. Absolutely. No, thanks, Jess and Mike, for having me on today. Really excited for the conversation and looking forward to uh, where it takes us. Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been in the... Uh, enterprise, you know, technology space for really the last 20 years and in the HR tech space for really the last 10 and started out my career, uh, really my first job out of college, uh, learning how to sell data warehouses in the analytics market. And that kind of broke me into the space, got me super interested and really spent the sec- you know, the first half of my career in, in financial planning and analysis and analytics space, really learning, you know, the office of the CFO and how they think. And that led me to uh, really to work day which I spent six years at Workday, kind of pre-IPO and post-IPO in that kind of SaaS revolution as SaaS software really became the thing. And looking at organizations really going from the old world to the new world, 
as organizations are moving, you know, out of on-premise software into the cloud and was a part of that and saw that, that run and really got my PhD in enterprise software, if you will, in that run. And uh, coming out of that, you saw space really start to open up in this whole area of HR tech around people analytics. And so that led me to, to Vizier. And if you're not familiar with Vizier, they're the leader in that people analytics space. And it was kind of the next phase. So if you start to look at, you know, the career as I kind of progressed that first 10 years was really getting, getting my arms around, uh, you know, where the technology space was going. But when I headed into HR tech, it was, you know, organizations are trying to build that foundation. The next, you know, place was data. And so when I was when I was at Vizier, you know, I had the opportunity to run their sales organization globally and you know solve some big problems for clients and, and, and really see how these, I'll call it the second tier, the second, the 2.0 version of enterprise SaaS would hit HR. And for me, that's what led me to Orgview. So I've been with Orgview just you just shy about seven months, and the CRO there. So in 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 that business, you know, field sales is a part of my organization as well as marketing, the client success function, global consulting partners, which we work with all the major you know uh, consulting organizations in the world, as well as the learning and our content part of our business, which drives the content that sits on the platform and how we enable our clients. And if you're not familiar with Orgview, you know it, it really drew me into this next phase. And if you look at what's you know what we're going to talk about today, you'll start to see uh, whether I'm really, really smart or really, really lucky. I've landed in a spot that is incredibly timely. Orgview is an organizational design and planning platform, and really what we do is we help organizations adapt to whatever change in the business world that's going on. How do I how do I make that adapt uh, adaption in my business? And that happens really in three phases for us. So the platform really helps organizations first look at holistic organization design. So looking at the connecting the business strategy that's going on in an organization and connecting the work that's being done. So all the activities and the people. So my workforce and how do I bring that together in a unified way? And it's holistic. It's not just putting people in boxes or organizing. It's really organizing around the business strategy. And then we operationalize that in the planning phase of how do we put an organizational plan to push forward those different models? So in the design phase, our organizations are really looking at what are the different models? What are my choices? What can I do? We help them operationalize that. And then the third piece is monitor that. So how do I make in-flight you know, uh, corrections to my business strategy as dynamics in the business might change? And you know, I know this sounds uh, you know, like the world we live in today because it is. And so it's, it's a very interesting space to be in. It's a global business where our headquarters is in London. You know, our U.S. headquarters is here is in Philadelphia, and I find myself in Canton, Ohio. So, of all places to be from, born and raised here in Canton, Pro Football Hall of Fame with my wife Susan and my two children, and uh, you know, what a more fun time to be in the enterprise HR space than you know where we are in 2020. And uh, that's a little about me and, and a little bit about Orgview. Well, great overview, Ken. Thanks so much. And I'm curious, do you, you know, you represent it as an HR tool or HR resource or software, but do you find that most of your users are HR professionals or are you seeing it being used more on people analytics teams or in other areas of the business? That's a great question. So if you look at what we see, it's this, uh, when you're in this space, it's HR is probably generally the person that might bring you to the table because they're really looking at the solving the people and work, you know, conversation. But it's it's really a combination of three parts of the business. You see this in 
and, and core HR and org effectiveness, you know, maybe driving the initiative, but it's the office of the CFO who cares about business strategy and the cost of the organization. And then generally the people analytics function is somewhat involved as well, is they're trying to understand, you know, what are the metrics by which we're looking at how work's getting done and how it's connecting to people. So, you know, HR is generally maybe the center of the universe on how we get engaged, but we're always engaged if we're in the proper situation with the CFO's office and with people analytics as well as kind of kind of your three constituent groups, which is how organizations should make decisions, right? It should be a combination of, you know, finance, HR, and kind of that people analytics function. Yeah. I think it's amazing, you know, when you can have such a robust tool like that, that's so many different departments or, you know, really, I guess departments is a good way to sum it up within an organization can benefit and leverage it. So that's, that's great to hear. Yeah. And it's been an interesting voyage for me, you know, with my background is, what I've seen in the market that's really changed the way people see this, this entire space, which makes it incredibly interesting is, you know, the, there was a promise in the ERP world, you know, when SaaS came along that it was going to solve all the problems, right. That you're going to put this ERP in place. And in a lot of ways, they solve so many of the efficiency problems, right. But what do they not solve because they're super complex are the effectiveness problems. How can we work better? And that's where I see this space so interesting is we're filling the gaps of the transactional, you know, aspect of, of a business, the strategy end of the business, and I'll call it the operations of the business, right? Which is, you know, how all these functions come together. There's, there's, how do you link all those pieces together? You know, the ERP maybe does the transactional and you might have your people analytics function doing some of the, I'll call it more of the, uh, you know, kind of the analytics you know, business operations piece, but nobody's really pulling that in together into a unified strategy. And I think that's why if you look at this space, uh, what we refer to as the organizational planning and analysis space or the organizational planning and uh, or organizational design and planning space is it kind of fills that gap. So it's an interesting time to be in the space. And we see customers just absolutely killing it with connecting strategy and, and, and operations. Hey, Chen, I feel like we talk about the pandemic every time we we have one of these shows, right? It's 2020. It's the common thing. And so with things changing so much from a workforce perspective, what have you seen within organizations? Are they, are they changing the way that they're structured? Is it a temporary change? And then how will things look when we come out the other side? Another, that's another great question. Before the pandemic, before, you know, 2020, you know, all of this, you know, that we find ourselves in, I think organizations looked at transformation as an event, right? So it's like, we have a business strategy that we want to employ, or we're in a downturn and we need to, you know, maybe cut some cost. We're going to do an M&A, right? So we're going to go buy somebody. And so these, these were events that would happen. You'd go through and you'd make the changes, you'd make the cuts, you'd make the growth strategy, whatever what case may be, and you kind of move on. And then you come back maybe six months, 12 months, you reassess, all right, how did we do? What the, what, the, what the pandemic has done is it's flipped that entire way of thinking upside down, where now you are forced in this environment to no longer make decisions that are point in time. It needs to be regularly addressed, maybe monthly, quarterly, in some cases, weekly. We saw clients and we saw prospects saying, my CEO is now asking me weekly for an update on you know, certain aspects of, of transformation going on in the business or some business model change or operating model change that we've made, and we can't keep up. 
We simply can't keep up. And everyone thought that was going to last for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. And now what we've seen is this is the new way of working is that you have to be agile in uh, transformation. So transformation is, no, we've made a change. Now we need to monitor that change. The captures that we may have gotten, the synergy captures we got from that change, we need to understand what that looks like. And we need to continuously be modeling that in order for us to stay ahead of, of, of the game. Because I think we all would admit, I think we're probably, we're in this cycle for a while. This isn't going anywhere. Right. And so we see as a scrambling, the organizations that were ahead of the curve on data, that were ahead of the curve on, you know, being able to model out different scenarios and be ready for some big, you know, tectonic move are the organizations that are killing it right now. And the organizations that weren't thinking about this and were much more static, they're struggling, right? They're struggling to adapt. And I think that is I think that's where we sit. And I don't think that's going away. And I think if you look at most of the thought leaders in in the people space, you're going to see this is the new world and we're not going back and we have to adapt. Yeah. So Ken, you recently presented at a conference and you had made the statement and I quote, the pandemic shut the door on the post-industrial age and is likely to be the true start of the digital age. So I think that you really just summarized that well. And you know, you gave an example of an organization, Lululemon, and I would love for you to share with our listeners because that story really resonated with me. And I think that that is a really good segue based on the example that you just provided of some are going to flourish and some are going to fail. Exactly. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take a page out of Mark Benioff's interview he just did with Cable News Network a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, the future of work is now we're never going back to where we were before. And you look at a company like you mentioned, Lululemon, who's a customer of ours, a great customer of, of Orgview. They're a great example of how an organization's benefited from this environment where when the pandemic came and retail was shut down, you know, uh, back in March, their stock price was at $139 a share. If you would have checked in on them first week of September, they were at $398 a share. Their business blew up. Why? It blew up because now we're, you know, all of us are working from home and this whole, you know, athleisure space that they refer to athletic wear, this athleisure space blew up because people wanted to be comfortable at home. They wanted good quality clothing. What Lululemon did that was super interesting was the moment they shut down, they immediately knew they were moving to a, a an online business and their demand shot through the roof. And sounds like a great problem, great business problem, but what if you're not ready? What if you haven't thought through what does my distribution channels look like as we move forward? What what do you, you know, what is my workforce? How how do I operationalize, you know, not just distribution, but online, connecting with customers, giving them the right experience? They had thought through this and they had had structures in place that they models they could put in place quickly. So what do they do? They moved to online super quick. They were able to get their distribution channels to, to churn out the demands. So they didn't have orders stacking to the roof. They were able to address that quickly. And then as we all had to do, when we came back online and were able to open the stores back up, they had to quickly shift some of that demand back. And so they had to understand you know, the work that's being done. They understand the workforce and what are the resources, the skills, the capabilities. And the outcome for them was they flourished in this environment where they, they were able to meet demand they were able to address the customer in a way that actually grew their fan base. It could have just as easily gone the other direction, right? They could have, you know, not met demand, created a bad experience for the customer, 
pushed them to other outlets to, to, to get there, but they didn't. And what you see is how fast that change came. The business cycles are getting shorter and shorter and you have to be able to adapt. And Lululemon is a great example of somebody that was ready. And uh, they took some bold moves and very much a template for the retail space on, you know, how to thrive in the current environment. And you know what? My guess is they'll continue to do that. It's cultural. They've built that capability into the way they do their work. And, you know, I expect to see them continuing to grow, even if we go back to whatever normal was, because they're, so, they're able to move quick. You mentioned being agile and something we've we've heard. We did a podcast a few episodes ago where we talked about the future of, of work is now. And, and we talked a lot about being able to pivot really quickly and not necessarily always looking two, three years down the road. Like you got to look maybe a month and being able to change directions at any time. In regards to what you guys do at OrgView, how do you help your clients to enforce that agility and not no, not only around thought leadership and helping them just understand what they need to do, but specifically within OrgView, how do you help companies? It's a great question. It, it's you have to do a couple things really, really well, right? And what we help them do is get a data foundation in place first, right? So, what applications, what technologies like OrgView help people do is set first. You, you, it's a maturity curve, right? You get the data foundation right, which is you understand your people, your positions, your roles the activities, which is technically your work, and you get that data foundation right. That gives you the ability to do two things very quickly. I can model different scenarios and I can understand their how they interoperate together, right? So if I understand, you know, here's my business strategy. I need to grow X percent over the next couple months in, in terms of my, uh, whatever my KPI might be, maybe it's, uh, you know, uh, being able to push my product out, it might be, you know, expanding certain parts of my business is I'm looking at that. If I don't understand the interoperability between, you know, those, those components, the work and the workforce, I can't adapt quickly. Those models, I can't put them into place. Right. So what we help organizations do that's very unique is to get the data foundation, right. We help them model it quickly and then we help them be able to monitor it. Right. So once you put those models into place, as you move down the path, how, how is the, the, the actual physical business environment changing how we should be looking at, our, at, at, at how we're organized? So if you get onto the base level, people would say, oh, you're just organ- you're, you're designing the organization and you're putting a workforce plan in place. That is correct. But if, the data fi- if you haven't set the right data foundation, you can't pivot. You can't ask really hard questions. You can't get down to the interoperability around my labor costs, the roles, the people that are in place where are they at locationally, right? Can I move them quickly? You know, a great example is, you know, uh, Royal Bank of Canada, you know, moved 75,000 workers into remote work in three weeks at the beginning of the pandemic. They had to have a very strong understanding of all of those data elements before they could do something. So we help them do that in a way that's very unique and easy to get going. We can get going in days and, and, and weeks. And so a lot of organizations are doing this in spreadsheets and PowerPoint decks and they're trying to communicate it that way. It's not flexible. It's hard to do. And honestly, it, it limits your flexibility and how fast you can move. And speed matters. Like right now, speed and accuracy matters. And you know, we believe we do a really good job of helping organizations do that. So the two examples that we've talked about, Lululemon and then the bank that you just mentioned, you know, are both really good examples of customers who kind of had the, the flexibility to 
have remote workforce or to leverage the resources that they had in place, such as like how Lululemon was managing their online orders. So from the perspective of like an HR leader or business leader that might be listening to this episode saying, that's just not my business model. We can't have people working from home. You know, how can we leverage, you know, this pandemic or any other pivots that it might throw at us to still have our business and our revenue blossom? It's a great, a great point. We hear a lot of organizations say, you know, for the for the digital worker, for the knowledge worker, this was, you know, potentially an efficiency gain. And for my business, maybe you're a manufacturer or, you know, you you're a retailer that can't easily do certain parts of the, the work in a home basis. How does that work for me? And what we've seen in some research that we've, you know, uncovered as well as what we've heard in in the market is we've seen manufacturers learn how to innovate. So I don't think it's so much even about profitability. You get profitability from operating better, but really at this point, it's relevance and innovation. How do you become relevant to your customer in a new way? So you look at, you know, how how we're servicing people today, but like in the manufacturing context, we've seen uh, large manufacturers innovate how they do production in a socially distanced way, right? So you might have to crank back, you know, how much is coming through your supply chain but if you can do it in a way that is that is create some innovation and drive some efficiency, you're going to outrun your competitors because everyone's facing the same constraints, right? So if you start to look at this, it's not just about being you know at home work versus uh, in the office. It's what 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 innovations can I bring to my operating model that make me more relevant to my customer and potentially compete better in the marketplace to deliver whatever good or service that you're you're doing today. And, that it keeps coming back to the same thing. Do I have the data? Do I understand the work and do I understand the people? And if I have that data foundation, it allows me to have some optionality with, if I am a manufacturer, okay, what, what are the innovations I can bring to them, you know, to our operating model that can drive efficiencies in production in a socially distanced way that protect my workers and still allow me to find a model where I can be profitable. And this is where innovation comes in. I feel like that first statement around, you know, post the you know post-industrial age is over and the digital age is here. This is as much I think about innovation today as it is about op- about anything else. Of how do we look at how do we do the work in a way that allows me to be profitable despite the constraints that we sit in? And you know what? If it goes back the other direction, can I pivot quick? Can I go back? And if we don't understand that, you know, the, the likelihood of you surviving through that is very small. You have to be able to move quick be innovative and be adaptable. So if, I, if I'm a listener, like I hear you loud and clear, we need to be more agile. We, you know, we need to be ready for change. What exactly do we need to do? And when you're working with customers or, or just in general, what you're seeing out there, are people, are there new ideas coming on how you, how your org structure is laid out? You know, whether it's flatter or, or not, like, can you talk a little bit about some practical advice you would give to somebody that understands everything that you're saying and agrees? I just don't know what to do necessarily. Absolutely. There's, there's two parts to it. One, one is a very, uh, pra- both very practical. One is, I think the first thing you need to do is look at how you're building teams. So I think it's more of a philosophical approach to the, to the business and how you're building teams and efficiency matters, but it's also what, what kind of teams thrive in this environment? Like, what are the things I need to understand? How we did that internally, philosophically was, 
all right, what is our business strategy moving into the next six, 12, 18, 24 months? What do we need to achieve as a business? Coming up with what are the, what are the, what are our options? What are the choices that we can make? And then we, we spend a lot of time surveying our workers, right? Trying to find out like what makes them work more efficiently, what makes them uh, feel from a mental health perspective connected to the business and not kind of distant. And then, you know, what are the things that matter to them in this new environment? We're now seven months into this, this new world. Uh, we've all learned something about ourselves and how we work. And so surveying, I think, is really important. So that practical layer of really getting a, a, a feel for, for what the business, what the teams need to be effective and, and how, what are our options is really important. But then the second layer, which is the harder bit, I believe, and where you know our technology helps do this, but it, it, it truly is, I believe, that the answer, you have to know the work that's being done. You have to be able to go out and pull that data. And what the innovation is being able to go out and look at how the work gets done today, look at how it needs to be done in the future and connecting that back to all the things I just mentioned around strategy. That is how you put feet to this. And, and you know, you can do this the hard way. You can go out and, and, and do this the hard way. There is technology that drives this. That's where the innovation comes in. This isn't about putting names in boxes. And I think what I mean by that is people think this is an org chart thing. You're going to see some organizations go to a flat org structure because now you don't, you know, they're going to find out there's a lot of efficiency that can be gained from removing some of the components that might be in office work that maybe wasn't really driving efficiency. And you'll see a lot of organizations get flatter. But it's not even about flatter organizations or, or, or fatter organizations. It really, truly is. When you understand the work, you can truly start to understand what my options are to get to where I need to get to from a business strategy perspective. And if you don't have a beat on that and you're just really looking at org design as an org chart, you're gonna, that, that, that won't fly in this environment because it's not the org chart. It's about connecting people to work. And that has been a hard thing, I think, in the market for 10 or 15 years that organizations have tried to do either manually or with consulting engagements or, or what have you. Now it's we need to put this in. We need to look at the data and we need to move quick. And you, you, you'll learn a lot. You'll find if you go out and you have this dialogue with with org effectiveness or, you know, functions within businesses, they're learning in this next six months. Probably they say well, what's the old saying, you know, you know, sometimes uh Things happen and you know, nothing happens in a decade. <laughs> and sometimes decades happen in a day. That's kind of what we're finding in this whole area is, you know, change is fast, adapt quick, learn, and put that into your, your strategy for how you organize people and don't get hung up on org, org charts. That's not mm-hmm. the point is that connection between people and work. When you guys did that research, you know, and you asked people and you looked at kind of what what good teams look like. Is there anything that stood out from that as far as like team structures? It really did. What was really interesting is there was, we found, we did this survey at OrgView and we were very, we were very granular about it. We asked a lot of very detailed questions to try to understand how work was getting done. And what was really interesting was how many things that could be done from home that pre-pandemic you said never would have been possible. Uh, The efficiencies that people were able to, kind of see in their own, in their own uh, work streams that were there, that they were able to, we were able to unearth quickly. And we saw that, guess what? Even in the same teams, people had different needs, right? And so how do we create an environment like, you know, from a workspace perspective 
that meets these needs. Because I believe what the, the next shift is going to be now employees are going to start to say, you know what, I kind of like this environment, right? And, and I want the flexibility to work from home. But I also sometimes there are certain parts of my job that need to be done in person. You know, employer, how are you going to address that? And so what we've started to look at are hybrid models of like, rather than having maybe, you know, what, what traditionally even a smaller organization might be one headquartered office where everybody comes into, how can we spread that work out into, you know, what, you know, others are calling, you know, digital nomads or, you know, these regional offices, collaboration zones, innovation hubs, whatever you want to call them. We'll, we'll come up with some cool terms, I'm sure, over the next couple of years for this. But creating environments where uh, workers can come in, do the work that they need to do as a group and still go back, you know, to the, the, at, the at home work that maybe drives higher levels of engagement. And I think we're going to see in efficiency come to our work streams by creating that environment. And for us, it's a challenge. I think every business is going to be challenged with it, depending on the culture of the company, what customers expect from you and the services that you're in the goods and services you're delivering. But I think that's where the key is going to be is what is the right structure for you and not being precious about the old world because it's gone. The idea that we're going to go back to the same thing is not there. So if you're a bank, do you take these retail brick and mortar play, you know, brick and mortar facilities and turn them into, you know, regional hubs, collaboration zones where people from corporate office can drop in and use that space? Is it a matter of going to a regional approach versus you know, a headquartered approach where, you know, at least during this time where people don't maybe feel safe traveling, you create some safety for them where they can still come into an office environment and not be in a big corporate setting. These are the things that the organizations that take the time to survey their employees, to understand the work and try and connect strategy to that. Those are the organizations I think are going to draw, have that, that draw from an employee perspective to places people want to work because they see the flexibility. That's going to be the new, what would have been a long time ago, the you know, 401k, you know, benefits packages. It's how flexible is the work environment is going to be the new asset, I believe, moving forward. And as HR and people, you know, organizations go forward, how we think about this is going to drive this, I believe, the success of our people strategy. So you already kind of gave a couple examples there, Ken, of what companies could start doing or thinking about in terms of their overall footprint. Is there anything, you know, like in the immediate outside of a survey, outside of kind of creative thinking about maybe I have these buildings and I'm stuck in like a five-year lease and there's no way I'm going to get out of them. So how can I leverage this space? Is there anything outside of that from an analysis perspective that they can think about as they're determining, you know, I'm a global organization and I have X number of offices throughout North America and, and, you know, even outside of North America, how do I determine where I'm going to get the most bang for my buck for actually having a brick and mortar location versus closing some of my locations down, whether short-term or long-term? Yeah, I hit, on a, I hit on a little bit earlier, but I'll, I'll reemphasize it in a different way because I think it's a great question for the practical reality of where people find themselves, which is, you know, what are my options? And I think, I think it's, it's being able to analyze the organization through different lenses, right? So one lens might be real estate where you're like, all right, location, real estate, practical reality, this is how much it costs for us to do business. And that's not going to change because of, you know, the example you just gave. But if I can look through the lens of, my interrelating in, in that those costs against you know uh, the cost of work, the cost of the people. You've got the location, you've got the business strategy, and I can start to make these linkages. What you'll start to find in that data 
are options, models that you can put in place to say, all right, we've got these 15 locations, we've got these 8,000 people, and we've got these business models that we need to employ. What are my options? And start to lay those out and see, and even with a a technology like an org view, you can start to lay that out and see what's the impact. And there might be things that you might, this choices you might make that may be, you know, short-term or revenue hit, but strategically put me in a position maybe three, four, five years out where I can, in your example, you know, not renew that lease or what have you, that put me in a position to leverage that moving forward. Or there might be positions where we just do a cost-cutting measure and we do some things initially that can drive me towards a short-term solution that then sets me up for a longer-term approach. If you have the right plan in place and you have the ability to look and analyze, visualize those components and see how they're interrelated, which goes back to really being precious about the data foundations that you have laid in your organization, you can start to allow people to see maybe options that weren't available to them, right? It wouldn't just naturally jump out. So you start to model and see, all right, here's the impact. And if you can interrelate costs, location, people, work, you start to see things visualize things that you never saw before. And that doesn't come out, that goes back to my whole, this, you can't do this in PowerPoint, right? This isn't a PowerPoint exercise where you put people in boxes and you say, okay, let's just move this, this organization over here. You have to be able to interrelate the data, the cost, the people, the work, and see what is the best option for me today, tomorrow, you know, and in the future. And so we talked a little bit about right there, those companies that maybe have these offices that are vacant, what do we do with them? And I'm sure there's some cool ideas. What about for a company that maybe is looking for a bunch of real estate at a discount? Maybe that's part of their their growth strategy. Have you worked with anybody on on that side of the fence? Like I, I think I saw an article recently that Starbucks was was somebody that they're like, wow, there's a whole bunch of open real estate potentially here for us. And it made me think, you know, for everything we look at as a challenge for some is a great opportunity for another. Any any insight on that? Yeah, we haven't seen any. I, I can't think of an example, like a current client example that, you know, we can just throw out there and say, you know, this is happening in the, in the real time. But what I can say is we absolutely have seen in the market organizations looking for, I'll call it the... Uh, the Uber disruption to their business, which is, all right, what are the data inputs or what are the things that I can do that I couldn't do yesterday because it wasn't available to me yesterday. So to your point, like real estate might be the challenge. You know, that's a great example of if you've got the right foundation in place of you understand your cost structures in in an interesting way and how it relates to the people, you could pull in things like real estate opportunities and start to look at, all right, by this kind of square footage and I had this kind of location strategy, is this something that could work for us? And that absolutely, we're hearing that in the retail space is, is absolutely the people that figure that out, they're going to have the Uber disruption in their business, right? I mean, the taxi cab business woke up one day and Uber was on their front mm-hmm. door. And they had kind of outsmarted everybody. I believe the people that get ahead of that one in retail are the ones that are going to crush it in the next go around because you're going to need to flex up and flex down. And there's an opportunity here. I think one that we've never seen before, and it's not just real estate. I think it's also with workers too, right? Like what people can and cannot do in the new world that maybe they hadn't even thought of six, eight, nine months ago. That idea of liquid workers is another concept that you're going to drop people in to do short you know, stints of work remotely and pull them back out. 
And you could probably do that in a retail capacity too, if you've got a flexible real estate strategy. So I think there's a whole corporate real estate opportunity that's going to come around in the next six months. It's it's a place of innovation. You know, I, I don't have the answer for it right now, but we're hearing it, we're seeing it. And I, I think you'll just, in the next six months, you'll probably start to see uh, stories crop up of organizations that have taken advantage of what I think is probably the biggest financial opportunity in, you know, in, in the business world, which is what do we do with all this corporate real estate? Mm-hmm. I mean, who you've probably seen this Facebook, uh, you know, almost all, you know, and uh, Salesforce have all said, you know, we're probably not going back to the office in some senses. So these huge corporate facilities, what do we do with them? Yeah, it's always, I mean, it's not fun because we're in a pandemic, but it's interesting to watch when something happens and you don't have a choice, but to figure it out. And it's amazing to see what comes out of that. Have you seen any cool ideas for what people are using buildings for right now? I have seen, yeah, that's a great, that's a good question. I have seen uh, a couple, you know, there was a couple in town here, not my little town, I mean, you know, Canton's probably 250,000 people. These facilities that were once used for, I guess you call it, you know, jungle gym kind of stuff, right? Where these kids come in and they jump around on the big inflatables and whatnot, not probably the safest place to be right now in a pandemic. I've seen organizations, you know, pull that out and turn it into a brewery, right? Uh, where they took a, you know, took a, uh, was basically a warehouse space and clear out half of it and rent it out to, you know, some, some, I'll call it mid-sized breweries and, you know, use that space flexibly because their business is pretty much shot for call it the next probably six to 12 months, keep the lights on. Right. So they're, they're finding ways to use their space effectively. They haven't shut their core business down, but they're using space, you know, to create some, you know, some revenue streams, which that organization that came in was trying to find scalable space. They don't have to worry about, you know, maybe some of the regulatory things they would if they were starting up their own organization, mm. their own facility. Those are the kinds of things I, I, I'm seeing, which is, uh, you know, you would always see ice cream places next to a Starbucks and, you, you know, you'd always see the same kind of, you know, footprint across retail. I think what you're going to start to see is more of of uh, birds of a feather flocking together and finding ways to to find revenue streams that mm. before. I, I thought that was the most innovative thing I've seen, which is, you know, Let's use this space effectively. Let's find a revenue stream that wasn't there before. And it keeps probably keeps that business alive for another six to 12 months until they can go back to their core business of making kids happy. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you indulging us on the real estate. I know that's not why we came on to talk about it, but we went down. No, that, it, it does, that's a great question. <laughs> it's uh, nothing is out of the question, but to, to get back on topic a little bit, I heard you talk a lot about data and how you have to have this data. So as a leader of a company, my team gets me this data. Do you guys help dissect it and give recommendations on what to do with it? Or like, how, as a leader, how do I use the data that I'm given from these tools? It's a great, it's a great question. I mean, you drop in, you know, we, we absolutely have a, what I'll call a methodology, right? And we know what good looks like. Um, and this is where I would say, if you're a business leader out there and you're really, you're, you're hearing things you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Like I've heard heard a lot of people talk about these topics and everybody's got like the great tweetable, you know, lines on what they should be doing. What do I actually do with the tweet? Right. What you have to do, I think to really affect change or adaptability and you know, specifically talking about the data issue, you have to have a method that, you know, works, right. You have to have a method that, you know, if I can connect these two or three things, I'm going to get X result. 
And that's what we we deliver to the table, at least from our organization, is we really do three things for organizations. We give them confidence, flexibility, and speed. And we come with a methodology that allows them to do that, right? Which is we know if we can help you connect these couple business, you know, uh, objectives, you know, to these core data elements that we can produce back to you metrics, uh, insight, and direction that you didn't have before, right? If I know the cost of my people, truly know the cost of my people, I know the roles and the positions that make up that work and how many of them I need and where they need to be. I can look at location. If you have that method, this isn't this isn't Herculean, right? Because it sounds, if you're not doing it today, if you're a CHRO or you're a people leader today and you're saying, I want that top table conversation, my CEO is asking me for this, my CFO is asking me for this, you need to partner up with somebody that has a methodology to get you that data quickly. You don't need to go build this. And that's the thing I would throw this out there. And this isn't really an, an org view thing. This is really a, a market thing. There are there are applications and tools. I would say we're one that can do this for you, but they come with a method to get you to where you need to get to, at least on the maturity curve, that first step, data foundation, getting it right. What are the right questions to ask and how can I move quickly? That's how you go from zero to 60. You know, that's the beauty of SaaS, right? Wasn't that the promise of SaaS when this whole thing got going 15, 20 years ago was, was repeatability, mm-hmm. how leverage best practice. That's where you start here. Find somebody that can help you with the best practice to come out of the gate knowing what questions I can answer quickly. Because if you have data, I would make the argument we can get you stood up in days and in weeks getting value out of that data. But if you go and just try and build this internally or you go and try to put it in a spreadsheet and, and kind of manipulate it yourself, you're not going to go fast. You're not going to have confidence in the data and it's not going to be flexible. You got, you got to be able to do a couple of things. You got to be able to model quickly and you got to be able to move at speed. Mm-hmm. Do that if you don't have some best practice and methodology. And we pride ourselves in coming to the table with that. And I think that's how you get out of gear. You get out of gear here by leveraging best practice and not trying to recreate something that's already been created for you. Yeah. It's funny. That was a question that I was going to ask you is kind of not the end game, but looking into the future, like you're getting all of this data and data seems to be worth more than gold nowadays. So as you guys progress, I, I assume that a lot of things are changing with the data. And then do you, you're using that to go in and help people. And that's going to be, have you seen a lot of differences across different industries and in what the data is telling you? Yeah, there's, there's definitely some commonality in industry. So you see a lot of the same issues obviously being solved or, or you know, being worked through in industry, but they're in, in, yeah, in the different industries. But yeah, I mean, we, we see the next phase of, of this is, is really trying to leverage, you know, benchmarking has been around for a long period of time and is something people do uh, regularly. And there's lots of organizations that can help you there. But what's interesting about machine learning and what's interesting about some of the, some of the technologies that we have applied today is that I believe that next phase is being able to benchmark with this data to, to drive new ways of thinking that might be a couple of years ago might've seen very innovative, but today it's like everybody's, everybody wants this answer. And I think that's the next level of efficiency is really being able to use some of this technology to drive common problems solved in simple ways. And I don't know that anybody has leveraged that today. I think you've got pieces and parts all over the enterprise that are giving you some insight into certain problems, but can I look out over an industry? Can I look out over maybe a manufacturer looking to a financial services organization and seeing how they solve that problem and then creating some applicability back to their industry? That's the next horizon. 
of using, and that's why using the data, you know, it's the easiest way to clean up your data and see what's there is you use it, right? You find the holes, you find the inefficiencies. And what we're finding is it's not really an industry thing. It's, it's a business problem thing. So even if you're a manufacturer, you can look to financial services organizations and you, especially in this area and look for new ways of working, you know, just by the use of the data, but it is about confidence. One thing that we see, and you'll see it in our brand persona, how we talk about ourselves is we refer to it as fearless performance design. People don't design organizations to be performant, not because they, they're, they're, uh, they're afraid, right? It's, they don't have the confidence in the data. And you, know, you have to start using it. Like we hear over and over again, well, my data is not clean or you know, I, I'm not, I don't have a lot of confidence in my data. We have to start using it. And so what we encourage people to do is get out there, start making decisions, start moving forward and you'll get more confidence in the data as we help you clean it, as we help you, you know, make better decisions. And then you begin, when you have confidence, you can move at speed, you can be flexible. You know, that, that is, I think, core to how you kind of get to the, you know, get up, move up the maturity curve on your decision-making and on how fast you can make decisions. Data security is something that we we hear so much about. I, I imagine that in your in your arena, there's there's a little bit of like kind of trade secrets, I guess, if you will. Like you know, are and maybe not. I, I guess that's what I'm asking: is do companies look at it and say, "Hey, we 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 leveraged you guys and we figured something out that we don't really want everybody else knowing what we're doing"? Is there any of that going on? And is 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 that an option when you work with somebody to say like, Hey, this, the data is just ours and we don't want to share it. Yeah, most definitely. So obviously in our world, and you see this across SAS, you know, your data is obviously secure. I always make the joke, you know, our data is so secure. We have sharks with lasers on their heads, protecting your data. <laughs> if you know, this the movie reference, awesome but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome <laughs> powers. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great reference, but beyond the actual physical data security, there is intellectual, you know, intellectual property here around better decisions, right? And you know, in our world, it's all it's 100% encrypted, so no one's going to get in and see that. No, you're not going to be able to, to to have that there. But that that is the new um, IP, right? Is better decision making, and we have seen innovation in that world. And, and you you don't we don't share that with people. So if an organization comes across something that they find to be you know, super interesting in their business. Obviously, we're not going to share that outside the four walls, but actually that is the innovation. The innovation is what do you see in the data that no one else sees? You make a better decision. And for us, you know, we protect our customers from that, um, both on the security and the privacy side, so that that's not, you know, that's not being shared. Or if that hits on on the answer to the question there specifically, but you know, no, that's- well, I loved what you said right at the end. Like the innovation is looking at the, you guys are providing the data people are going to look at it different ways and come to different conclusions. So, and, and we're doing some work right now, currently with one of our researchers to look at the speed, what's, what's the impact of the speed of a decision. Hmm. I think if you're looking for innovation, you know, as organizations start to look at why would we invest in this kind of technology? You know, you can see with the pandemic and the new environment, you shouldn't need a business case guys to, to see this technology is necessary to, to design, plan, and monitor your organization. But what we're, we're really interested in and trying to provide for our customers is a little bit of a steer on what is the impact to making a good decision faster? Or what is it the impact to ruling out a bad decision more quickly? <laughs> and if you can kind of get to that level where 
you know, you're providing that kind of data to organizations and they can start to see what are the drivers to those pieces of, or to those answers, you know, you want to talk about increasing performance, increasing effectiveness and efficiency in your business, making better decisions faster or getting rid of bad decisions faster is, I think is the new gold, the new gold dust in, in mm-hmm. business. The first one to figure out the new operating model, the new business model as this environment continues to change is the first one to get to the market with the new idea or the new service or the new offering. And I mentioned the banking, you know, uh, example earlier, you know, one thing that we saw in the pandemic about making fast decisions was that particular bank was came up with because of what customers were telling them, uh, came up with new services to sell their clients because of them being able to get to the customer first. They had quickly pivoted people and got into the market, started hearing the concerns, started seeing the problems that, that their customers were trying to solve. They came to the market quickly with goods and services to sort that out for them. And they got to the prize first. And that all comes back to, you know, having, being able to move quick, making a good decision fast, having the data, having that foundation built. It's the new, uh, you know, it's the new fast forward on, on, you know, on winning in, in business, I believe, moving forward. The, the other thing I was curious on, so making quick decisions, but you also said being able to identify bad decisions quickly. Is that something you guys are helping with? And and also, is that is that pulled off of some sort of leading indicator that, hey, if, if this happens, we know this is probably going in the wrong direction? And And in that same kind of question is, how has the time to change differed, you know, maybe from five years ago even? It's a great question too. That and these are, uh, you know, definitely the the right things to be thinking about. We do help in that regard. That's that's the modeling component, right? So once you kind of have that right foundation built, and you can understand the cost of a decision, right? So that might, if you understand how much the people cost, you understand how much the work costs, you can start to model out. All right, if I go this direction, what's the impact? You know, from either a PNL perspective or a resource perspective then it quickly starts to inform, is this a decision I want to make, right? So we can absolutely help people see, is this, from a financial perspective, a good choice, a bad choice? And then you start to kind of bucket those choices and, and models, and you can model them out, put them in a workforce plan, see how, you know, what, what the financial impact would be. But probably just as importantly is to see the other side, which is, if I make this move, yeah, there might be a short-term cost savings. And I think you see this a lot in corporate America, where we look at just a straight, you know, organizational cut, we're going to cut $200 million in cost reduction. And then six months later, the environment changes quickly and you've missed your, your opportunity cost is super high because you missed the turn on the next thing because you hadn't modeled out what if, right? What if this does turn and go, you know, look at the U-shaped recovery. A lot of organizations made huge cuts and you see the big dip in the in the business cycle, it comes back up and they're not ready to take advantage when the up cycle hits, mm-hmm. right? They hadn't done the work to see, all right, let's model this out. Let's go two, three steps down the road and see what those are. And when, when do we apply more people? When do we apply more resource? We absolutely help people do that. And that's the key to the modeling. That's why Excel can't help you here, right? You look at, you'd be shocked at how many organizations are doing this kind of thinking in Excel and in PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. And because it, because they think it's they don't know that there's another way. What we have seen is the ability to do complex modeling and understand the data 
And by the way, this is out of the box capability in most senses, right? This is not uh, you know space age type technology. Hmm. We can help you today, right? Yeah. And organizations are getting value out of this today. And, and and on the security front, you know that this is pretty secure, pretty important information sitting in non secure environments. You know, um, we're helping organizations, you know, create some security in, in their data in their data uh, management structure as well. Getting getting out of flat files and getting off the desktop and getting into a, an enterprise decision making, you know, kind of a framework. Yeah. Well, sharks with laser beams. I think you guys got the data covered, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The, the, the sharks definitely have your data protected. <laughs> we provide the method, the method to success as well, which kind of goes hand in hand, right? It's, it's great if the data is in there, but what do you do with it? You got to, yeah. I think expertise is really important. You have to have people understand proper, holistic design of organizations, right? Which it's not just names and boxes and it's not just, you know, a, a flat structure. There's so many moving parts and that interoperability partner with somebody that has expertise in helping you understand how these pieces fit together. Because yeah. Once again, we shouldn't have fear that there's not a way to solve these problems. You hear the future of work and it just, my experience is it freaks out CHROs because this is not an environment. They, they've they not been at that top table strat, business strategy level. They've been kind of at the level of trying to transform the organization, become digital. The next move for the CHROs that are going to be very strategic in their business and, and look to is, the, is those that have data. Mm-hmm. That meeting with, We've modeled this out, folks, and here are the here here are our three models and three options. You're going to be at that top table. You're going to be a part of the decision. And honestly, that's what we've been trying to do for ten years in the HR space. Has been how do we get into there, right? How do we get into that thing? And the ERP didn't quite do it. I think we all would agree. Like it did part, it helped, but there's another layer. And I think that is if I'm a leader right now, I'm looking for how do I get to that data. How do I have that meeting? How do I have that kind of, uh, how do I look out the front window and not look back at what happened? Because I think now is prior to the pandemic, everybody was looking in the rear view mirror and saying, well, history always drove what happens in the future. And you're looking backwards. Now people are realizing, no, I need to look out the front window and what are the models that can give me optionality to take some choices that maybe I wouldn't have made. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the new that's the new world in my in my experience in the last you know six seven months of seeing the yeah the innovative companies make moves here. Well, I mean, as I listen to it, I I can't help but think like I just want to see that data. I want to I want to get in there and take a look. So, with that in mind, how can people connect with you, Ken, on a professional level? How can they get in contact with Orgview? I'm guessing you're on LinkedIn and whatnot. But if you could share. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of different ways you can do that for sure. I'm a social media beast, so you can find me on all the social media places, but LinkedIn for sure. And in Ken Ferguson, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find us at, at orgview.com uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about Orgview, or you can send me an email too. I'm happy to connect one-to-one at ken.ferguson at orgview.com. Uh, but look us up. You know, I'd be happy to chat, you know, whether it's helping you from an Orgview perspective or just making the connection. You know, one thing I think it drives me more than anything is is solving big problems. And what's really fun about 2020, and there's not much been fun about 2020, uh, is, is seeing the opportunity to maybe fix some really big problems in, in that, that we've all been trying to fix. If you've been in this space for a while, this is that opportunity and shame on us if we don't do it, right? And I think helping each other 
uh, connecting each other to, you know, our little piece of the puzzle is part of the fun. So um, we'd love to connect with anybody that hears this and wants to connect, you know, we'd be happy to do so. Well, I know I'm walking out of this podcast feeling a lot more hopeful. So I'm, I'm assuming that our listeners will feel the same way too, Ken. So thank you for all of your knowledge and passion around the topic and for, you know, taking some time out of your busy schedule to be on the podcast, Mike. And I really appreciate it. Oh, that's great. I appreciate uh, both Jess and Mike for inviting us, uh, inviting myself here. It's been, been great. And yeah, I think, I think everybody should have some optimism. I think coming out of this year, there's just so many things that have all drug us all down that, you know, when we come out of this, I think if we uh, make some bold moves and some bold, you know, some, some bold uh, actions, I think uh, we'll come out of this stronger than we were before. And we should all be optimistic that better times are coming. Yeah. Well, good. Well, thanks again, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, Please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.